3: Hello friends, welcome back to another episode of the Roto-World Football Podcast. Hey, we made it here at the end of week two. Thank you so much for being here, listening to this episode, this whip around, this review of almost all the games that happened on Sunday. I know you guys loved it last week. Thanks so much for the feedback you got to me. You spoke to me. You let me know warm, fuzzy feelings in my heart because of it. I appreciate it. And all the writers and blurbers that join this episode appreciate it as well. So if you have more of those, send them our way. Do want to mention that we have another podcast Tuesday mornings on waivers and news, uh, Thursdays and Fridays as well to prepare you for week three and beyond. And if I can just have a bit of your attention just for a moment here. Um, The reason I'm doing this podcast and had this idea of the whip around is because we lose listeners and viewers as the season goes along. It makes sense because fewer and fewer of you are winning or in contention for your fantasy championship. So hopefully this whip around will keep you for the entire year. That's the goal of it. It's not just fantasy based. It's football based as well. Um, again, I'm calling these people on their cell phones. The quality might not be at its best, but I do my best to make it good enough for you to listen and even better than that. Enjoyable to listen to as well. We'll start this week with Patrick Doherty, who had the Green Bay Packers at home against the Minnesota Vikings, winning twenty-one to sixteen. Aaron Rodgers twenty-two of thirty-four. Pat, I believe the Packers took a massive lead, that allowed the Vikings to come back in this one.
4: They were winning twenty-one to nothing wow. early in the second quarter. Uh, Aaron Rodgers got off to an eight of nine start for like one hundred and sixteen yards, a pair of touchdowns. It was basically looking like. Um, you know, he knew how to play football again. And then, unfortunately, after that, he did get canceled yet again. I hate to uh, inform the audience, but he was canceled <laughs> for the final three quarters of the game. But it was enough for the Packers already because if he was canceled, uh, Kirk Cousins was, like, extra, extra canceled. Um, so, yeah, it was a huge, it was looking like it was going to be a total Packers uh, boat race. And then special talent Dalvin Cook scored a 75-yard touchdown where he looked just ridiculously fast. Yet again, kind of flipped to the games, you know, the hashtag momentum on its head and kind of a new game after that, kind of a more unwatchable game after that. It was really fun looking in the pack, seeing the Packers look like they knew how to play offensive football again. And then they really didn't in the final two and a half quarters. But uh, Packers, not, they're not – Not dead yet. They're working on it. They're working on coming all the way back, basically. So
3: it Um. it looks like it's a very narrow offense for them, though, because Aaron Jones had 23 carries, 116 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. Devontae Adams, seven catches on nine targets, 106 yards, no touchdowns. And other than that, it's just like a bunch of randomness. Meanwhile, for the Vikings, Pat, it seems like this is exactly what Mike Zimmer wants. 20 carries, 154 yards, a touchdown for Dalvin Cook. Was the game just put on Kirk Cousins' shoulders and he completely flopped?
4: Yeah, it was what Mike Zimmer wanted until I'm going to steal my own headline that I tweeted until Kirk Cousins unestablished the run. Uh, <laughs> just two, two, two. So we joke all the time about these supposed you know dinosaur coaches uh, wanting to you know base their offense off the run, but today I think mean, you kind of saw why with the Vikings because Kirk Cousins made just two inexcusable interceptions, Yikes. both into you know. Non non X's and O's expert. I'm not a film expert. Tend to overuse this phrase, but uh, both of his interceptions were into triple coverage. Just bad bad decisions to Stephon Diggs. Obviously, it's a lot more complicated than saying Kirk Cousins just threw into triple coverage. But they were not good decisions. Uh, He fumbled back to back plays. Lost the fumble on the second play. This was, you know, for a 31 year old quarterback with a fully guaranteed contract, it was an inexcusable performance. And you can kind of see. Uh, why Mike Zimmer was at his wits end with Kirk Cousins by the end of last year and why this is, might be kind of like a fraught dynamic going forward for the Vikings because he's just not meshing with what they want their offensive vision to be right now. And they had to put the game on his, his shoulders today, and he failed. And uh, so, yeah, it's going to be an interesting dynamic going forward for the Vikings in that regard.
3: 14 of 32 attempts, 230 yards, one touchdown. Two interceptions. Um, yeah, I mean Adam Thielen, seventy-five yards and five catches. Stephon Diggs had that forty-nine-yard touchdown catch that saved his day. Dalvin Cook, though, is like the complete offense. I mean, a hundred and what ninety-one total yards. Pat, I guess my last question about this: We saw the Packers defense fly around in Week One. Did they do the same exact thing here, and it just confused Kirk Cousins?
4: It did. There was a lot of Kirk Cousins harassment going on, targeted harassment of Kirk Cousins, but it was.
3: You know, it was on the football field, so that was
4: good, actually. And it just really had him discombobulated. And it was a really interesting day for Stefan Diggs. Uh, talk about, like, beyond the box score. One catch uh, did not tell the story for Stefan Diggs today because he was the target on both of Kirk Cousins' interceptions, one of which was in the end zone. He had a second touchdown called back by a highly dubious uh, pass interference replay review hmm. that was initiated by the booth and then called on Dalvin Cook. That if you weren't watching the game, if you weren't watching the game, you were miffed. Everyone watching the the game was miffed. And uh, even his own, his touchdown, which was a great, he just kind of outran the whole defense, was inches away from being a Jair Alexander pick. So, yeah, it was beyond the box score for Stefan Diggs on Sunday, but he at least got a touchdown out of it. So, uh, yeah, it was a strange, bizarre game, uh, but a fun game.
3: We go from Kirk Cousins playing quarterback to Josh Allen and Eli Manning. Playing quarterback. Uh, the Buffalo Bills once again win in MetLife for the second straight week, even though they're away. 28-14 to 14 this time. I think, over. That, I think that gives them the all-time
4: – they've won more games in MetLife Stadium now than any team, I believe. <laughs> um, yeah, so.
3: Yeah, uh, I like the sweeps. Pat, I mean, it was a tale of like two halves for Josh Allen last week. Like in the first half, just turning the football over. Uh, fumbles, interceptions. This week, though, no interceptions, and I mean, he only completed nineteen of thirty attempts, two hundred fifty-three yards, and a touchdown. He added twenty-one yards and a touchdown on the ground. What what's the the coaster of Josh Allen? Where is it at in its path right now?
4: Uh, it's, it's it's on an it's like uh it's a coaster. You know, what do you call it when a roller coaster when you're you're uh, ascending, but it's just like the automated part. You know, it's just like ascending you before you, it drops you. It's on like the controlled descent right now. It was, he was, it was managing the game uh, roller coaster today. Uh, it's kind of a little misleading to say he had a passing touchdown. He did in the box for us, but it's kind of like a weird shovel pitch to Isaiah McKenzie. Which, hello, Isaiah McKenzie. I was uh, kind of hoping you'd be a thing this year. I added you in the dynasty League near the end that's, of last season. That's a deep cut. Man. Yeah, it's a real deep cut. Even hardcore listeners of the podcast, very few of them have heard of Isaiah McKenzie. <laughs> Where did you go to school? I actually don't know. Clemson uh, d- do you know did he go to Elon Clemson okay I should have known that actually
3: uh oh I gotta look this up now keep going
4: um yeah it was so Josh Allen they kind of had a more in game manager mode today and he kind of succeeded there was typical Josh Allen he missed what probably should have been a 52 yard touchdown to John Brown oh uh, the highlight was they ran his rushing touchdown was a straight up quarterback sweep which you just don't really see in the NFL uh It was kind of like Army visiting Michigan type of play. Uh, It was a very interesting play. Uh, It was something he'd like for his fantasy value if he can execute those kind of runs, and he did so with lead blocker uh, Frank Gore, who was throwing the whole Bills team. They were about the Bills. They were throwing like hellacious blocks down the field. If you want to know what 2019 Bills football is, it is hellacious blocks down the field.
3: I was I was totally wrong, by the way. Isaiah McKenzie went to Georgia. Uh, I was thinking of Raymond McLeod, who went to Clemson. Pat, I did watch part of this game, and I saw Frank Gore leave with an injury. He came back, 19 carries for 68 and a touchdown, Like, what happened to getting Devin Singletary more work? I mean, he had six carries, 57 yards and a touchdown. Like, why do coaches still want to give Frank Gore the ball when Devin Singletary is sitting right there? And it seems like he's just been more of a productive player this year than Frank Gore has been in the last few years.
4: It's just every coaching cliche you could think of. They want Frank Gore to do the little things for this offense. Which, to be fair, he was doing today. I mean, he was making all the most hashtag savvy hashtag veteran plays you can make. Like I said, he was literally the lead blocker on a quarterback sweep uh, touchdown. So this is going to be a little things offense, and uh, you know, I'm sure I have, Sean McDermott is probably correct that Frank Gore is better at the little things than Devil Sing- Devin Singletary right now. But they're kind of picking their spots with him pretty well. I think it was six rushes for 57 yards. So adding kind of like the definition of like an explosive change of play, uh, element. Uh, he, he kind of injured, he tweaked his hamstring late and did mm. not return, but he was standing on the sideline with his helmet. So it didn't seem like a debilitating type of hamstring injury, but we know how that goes. Even a little tweak can hold you out for a week or two. So yeah, unfortunately, uh, I don't think we're going to see a change in that dynamic anytime mm. soon. Devin Singletary is going to be just like a true change of pace back. And, Frank Gore's going to be out there, you know, to, to you know, ace his blocking assignments and uh, kind of just make for not a fun fantasy situation. So, uh, but, you know, what else? that's 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 very much late period Frank Gore, and it's just not going to change this year.
3: Cole Beasley, eighty-three yards on four receptions. John Brown, seventy-two yards on seven receptions. Meanwhile, Pat Eli Manning, twenty-six of forty-five. Two hundred and fifty yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. My question to you is why is Eli Manning still the quarterback of the New York Giants? I don't know. It was quite, it was bad, it was, quite dude. frankly. It was, it was real just
4: bad. Dark and dis, it was dark and dismaying. Oh. <laughs> it was just just dark and dismaying. I don't really know how so he I can't remember who his little his little bunny touchdown was too. He had a short touchdown. TJ Jones. In somewhere. Yeah, that's right, like TJ Jones, who was so, so, okay, part of it is the receiver core. TJ Jones was just signed last week. Cody Core was just claimed off waivers like a week or two ago. But, I mean, there's this – you know, Eli, it's to the point where Eli Manning hitting like a 10-yard touchdown to TJ Jones, he was celebrating like he had just won the Super Bowl. That's kind of where Eli Manning's uh, career is at right now. And he just can't move. He can't make plays. And if you don't have – if you have a decimated receiver core, which the Giants do right now, if you have a quarterback who – adds no playmaking ability of his own, how is your offense going to score points? The answer for the Giants, I guess, is Saquon Barkley being a special player, which he was on the opening drive. But after that, you know, he wasn't. He had 57 yards, the opening drive, made a huge play on his touchdown. But you, know, you can't count on That's not an offensive formula. That's a bonus. And they didn't have it the rest of the day. And therefore, they basically were not competitive the rest of the day. So uh, Eli Manning has given... All he has to give to New York football giants organization and it is time for them to move on.
3: Yeah, you mentioned the receivers and how they're new, but like some of them got a little bit of separation, were a little open, and then just from the start, Eli just couldn't hit them. I mean, you you mentioned that first drive with Saquon, it was all him. And I know that like people in the local media, national media were saying, Well, Saquon only got what, twelve touches last week, why not get more? It's because it's tough to give a running back touches when you're down the scoreboard. And that's just what's yeah, gonna and- happen with the Giants.
4: Yeah, even an instant offense running back like Saquon Barkley is, that's not an every drive formula. Even if you have a special instant offense running back, you might only make that kind of special play once every three or four drives. You You just don't get that many drives in in an NFL game. So it's just not a formula that you can ride to success, and it's going to be a problem all year for the Giants.
3: Pat, here's the Giants schedule coming up. Bucks away, Redskins home, Vikings home, Patriots away either Daniel Jones comes in after the Bucks game and starts against the Redskins as his first one as the home opener, or I think he waits until after the Patriots cause they play the Cardinals at home. Those are the two to me. Cause you cannot, you cannot have him make his debut against out the Vikings at home or the Patriots away.
4: I think this might be, if, if they're going to see this through to the bitter end, which they're going to, it means we're, we're going to see, like, even by Eli's standards, like an all-time new low in the Vikings or Patriots game. And even though you said that's, like, the least ideal time ever to put in Daniel Jones, it's probably going to be one of those two games. Oh, because they're in it to win it with Eli. Uh, like, they're going to essentially make him, you know, like, uh, retire on the field. And uh, I don't think it will get quite to retire on the field until it's the Minnesota-New uh, England back-to-back. It's,
3: it's going to be... It's going to be something. It's
4: not going to be anything we want to see. It's going to be very sad and uh, and like parental discretion advised.
3: Baltimore Ravens at home beat the Arizona Cardinals twenty three to seventeen. This one had a thirteen and a half point differential at least expected for the Ravens at home. They were favored by thirteen and a half. But in hits, this one was a lot closer than it seemed, especially early on.
5: Yeah, you know, I think Kyler Murray kind of passed his test with flying colors compared to what we were expecting. Just super hard spot. I mean, you know, they were 13-and-a-half point dogs for a reason, but he came out and competed for four quarters. I mean, he didn't really have time to throw from pretty much the first drive to the end of the game, but, I mean – even though he hasn't had any rushing production yet, you just watch him move around the pocket and, you know, buy himself time. And you can tell he's just one of the most athletic players on the field anyway. And then to top it all off, I mean, he had two throws. He made probably 30, 40 yard, yards downfield where they came off his back foot and they were just on the money. I mean, hmm. the, the arm angles this guy can, can do and still be accurate with was just truly incredible.
3: No touchdown throws for him. He was 25 of 40 for 349, which is fantastic. And you mentioned it, like, despite some, some pressure he faced, he only took three sacks in this game. Uh, last week we talked about, or at least we did in this podcast, that Christian Kirk... Just missed on a few early vertical shots. In this game, he was the team's leading receiver. Eight targets, six receptions, 114 yards. Larry Fitzgerald also went over 100 yards. Demir Bird had a few plays early on. Basically what I'm saying here, Ian, the passing game was good. The running game was not. I mean, 20 total rushing yards on 11 carries. Was that the game script? Was that the offensive line? Should people who have David Johnson and their teams be nervous moving forward?
5: It was a little bit game script. I mean, the Ravens were up 17-6 at halftime, so it wasn't like they completely pulled away from the start, but certainly didn't help. I think what we're seeing here is just, you know, the Cardinals are going to be running a pass-first offense all season. I mean, David Johnson, he did miss some time in the second quarter with a left wrist injury. He's already said afterwards that he's good to go, so no long-term concerns, but the usage, I mean, it is a little bit problematic. For him to only have seven carries and even more concerningly, only have one target in the pass game, you know, that's not what we want to see out of a you know, guy we drafted to be a three-down workhorse. I think uh, we'll see him get more touches than that in a normal week, but at the very least, I mean, we're kind of looking at more of a 15 to 20 touch range with DJ, I think, compared to the 20-plus you know, we grew really used to with Bruce Arians. Uh, the good things we did see, though, you mentioned this before with Christian uh, Kirk, we do have a good idea of who this pass game is going to flow through, and it is uh, Kirk and Fitz. Kirk's had 20 targets through these first two weeks. Fitz is up at 24. And surprisingly, Demir Bird was actually the full time uh, number three receiver. Hmm. Uh, um, Michael Crabtree and Keyshawn Johnson rotated in that fourth wide receiver spot. So now we actually have five wide receivers uh, pretty involved on a play by play basis in, in this offense. But pretty clearly, it's Fitz, Kirk, and Bird uh, as the big three.
3: You mentioned that Keller Murray kind of aced this test. Uh, Lamar Jackson might be teaching the course. Uh, I mean, in this game, 24 of 37, 272 yards and two touchdowns as a passer, continuing last week's glorious run as a passer. And then now we finally see his rushing upside. 16 carries, 120 yards as well on the ground. Some of those were designed. But a lot of those were scrambles, Ian, and that's not exactly something we saw very often last year.
5: You say it was crazy last week how good he did without having any rushing upside. And then we saw uh, this week what he's capable of when he gets that part of his game going as well. But, yeah, Harbaugh even said in the postgame press conference that a lot of those runs uh, were scrambles. And, I mean, that was the big kind of difference between Lamar and Josh Allen last year. They were both racking up yards, but – Josh Allen's are almost entirely on scrambles and Lamar's are almost entirely designed. Either way, I mean, you just see this guy in the open field with the ball in his hands, and he's just moving at a different speed. It's it's crazy that he's able to you know beat cornerbacks uh, to the hedge and kind of just you know outrun these angles from uh, very competent defenders. And you know it's it's hard to call him anything but your QB three moving forward behind Mahomes and Watson. And you know I wouldn't argue with anyone that wants to even move him off the QB two territory.
3: I know a lot of people, and I get these in the Twitter comments already, that like, oh, it's the Dolphins week one. Oh, it's the Cardinals in week two. I mean, these are NFL teams he's playing against. And he's doing this in front of the competition that he's forced to face, and he's doing it with flying colors. Like, there's no slip-up at all. I mean, he fits some passes to Mark Andrews, who had nine targets, eight catches, 112 yards, and a touchdown. To Marquise Brown. Like, these are small window throws that, no matter what team you're facing, are impressive. And Lamar Jackson is doing it, and it just seems like he has already taken that next step. And we have another 14 games to go in his second season, and the sky's the limit, like you just mentioned.
5: He made a throw down the seam to Mark Andrews. That, you know, you were right behind me, and we both just gasped when oh it happened because it was just amazing tight window. You know, he had to put touch on it to get it between defenders, and then at the end of the game to seal things. You know, he dropped one down to the bucket uh, on the sideline to Hollywood brown for a good 40 yards so yeah pinpoint accuracy uh, the other big takeaway from this game though was the backfield did reveal itself a little bit more uh, we saw low-key a pretty tight split in week one mark ingram got the touchdown so he kind of uh, flew away and fancy owners weren't worried but they should actually be even more excited i think after what we saw this week because even in a game where lamar jackson had 16 rush attempts mark ingram had 13 carries two targets he played 39 snaps and behind him we had justice hill all the way down to 15 snaps Gus Edwards at 10, so it seems like Mark Ingram really is solidified as that starter in lead back, and it's looking like if Mark Ingram went out, I mean, I I can see Justice Hill kind of leading this backfield. Uh,
3: We talked about Mark Andrews. I think he's probably considered a top-five tight end the rest of the way, if not even higher than that. I mean, what he's doing, it doesn't matter how many snaps he's playing. I don't know what it was in this game, but he's just balling out completely, and obviously Lamar's favorite target, but other Lamar's favorite target is Marquise Brown. Uh, We saw two long Catches for him for touchdowns last week this was a little bit more consistency 13 targets for hollywood brown eight catches 86 yards no touchdowns but a long catch of 41 yards i mean ian he's kind of drifting if not already there towards that every week flex play wide receiver three
5: definitely and the big concern coming out of week one was just that he only played 14 snaps but and I don't have the exact amount, but I know he was out there for the entire game. and it was, it was a heck of a lot more than 14 this week. So as long as we're sure, you know, that he's going to be out there for over half the plays, I mean, that's good enough for me because, like you said, 13 targets. I mean, clearly this pass offense is designed to go through Mark Andrews and Hollywood, you know, one and two. And, it, you know, week one we saw most of Hollywood's targets were down the field, you know, big play shots, which are fine. I mean, those are fantasy-friendly targets. But this week we actually saw him get – a lot more short hitting, you know, high percentage passes, you know, a quick screen here, you know, a slant there. So it was good Love to see it. him kind of get these, uh, yeah, these these higher percentage short targets that will help him build a fancy floor because we already know he has the ceiling.
3: We're going to get to the Chiefs and Raiders game next because that is the other game that you covered. Um, that, I also want to bring up the Chiefs because that's who the Ravens are facing next week, Lamar Jackson versus Patrick Mahomes. Um, we know that Mahomes won MVP last year, probably the odds on favorite this year. But Lamar Jackson is making a case early, isn't he, Ian?
5: Absolutely. And please, NFL, flex this game to prime time. I mean, this is going to be awesome. And, yeah, man, if Lamar can keep this up as a thrower especially, it's going to be hard not to give him that award, I mean, at this point. Uh, can't say enough nice things about my homes, obviously. But, I mean, we, we see all the kinds of different talent at, uh, you know, at his disposal in that Chiefs offense. Lamar's doing this almost all by himself. I, mean, I don't want yeah. to take anything away from Mark Andrews in and the Hollywood, but I mean he truly is that offense. And I mean, the fact that the Ravens are doing all this, and they, you know they're still pretty much paying Joe Flacco to be a franchise QB as not even on the roster, I mean they're not even getting the uh, financial advantage of having a rookie QB, and they're still just falling out. so.
3: And it's not like the Chiefs defense is our world beaters either, either. So, like, you start with the Dolphins, the Cardinals, and the Chiefs. They're a little bit of a step up here. But, um, in fact, let's get to that game. You also cover the Chiefs at the Oakland Raiders. Chiefs win this game 28-10. to 10. But, Ian, early on, it was quite a close game. In fact, the Chiefs only scored points in the second quarter to the tune of four touchdowns. They were shut out in the first, third, and fourth quarters
5: yeah, so the Raiders came right down the field their first two drives and were able to uh, score ten points out of them. Uh, Derek Carr was looking good now when, when he can just step back you know one, two, three and get that ball out uh, real quick, you know his average release time in week one was uh, among the top three you know quickest. Quarterbacks in the league, like that's his game. It's when he kind of sits in the pocket, he lets the pressure get to him. That's when mistakes start to happen. So he was able to kind of stay within himself those first two drives, but after that, things just got rough. I mean, he finished the game only averaging 5.2 yards per attempt, which is really brutal. I mean, the only receivers he was really efficiently throwing the ball to were Tyrell Williams and Darren Waller. I think it's going to be pretty uh, tough to expect much, uh, much uh, fantasy relevance from any other pass catcher in this offense. Hunter Renfro did have a team-high eight targets, which was interesting to see. Only 30 yards on it, though, so not expecting too high of a ceiling for him. But, yeah, I mean, look, Derek Carr, he threw two picks. One was in, an end-zone fade to Tyrell Williams where he just didn't even really give him a chance to go up and get in. The other one was pretty much directly out of linebacker's face, so was not a good game from Derek Carr.
3: So writing this down, When Derek Carr has to do quarterback things, Derek (laughs) Carr stinks. Okay, got it. Um, Other side, you have the MVP. You have Patrick Mahomes. 30 of 44, 443 yards with four touchdowns. I believe they scored two touchdowns uh, in the span of one minute and one second. Uh, Again, it's not like they put up points in the first, third, or fourth quarter. This was all done in a single quarter, and it was all done not all of it, a lot of it, to Demarcus Robinson, a no-name player until now who saw six targets, six catches, 172 yards, and two touchdowns. Just these vertical moonshots that Mahomes was throwing were absolute laser beams, and Robinson was making somewhat difficult catches look easy as well.
5: This was like the most handcuffed we've ever had to see Mahomes in a game. No Tyreek Hill. Their left tackle, Eric Fisher, played about two plays before – he tried to play through a groin injury. wasn't happening. So he was out by the end of the first drive. And their running backs totaled 31 yards on 22 rush attempts. Ooh. And it didn't matter because Patrick Mahomes threw the ball wherever he wanted to. He had, you know, Travis Kelsey streaking free in the uh, intermediate areas of the field a lot. But these are also just dimes, man. I mean, look, Sammy Watkins was like the only Chiefs player not really have a big game. He had 13 targets and a lot of it was underneath. But you said it, Demarcus Robinson and Mecole Hardman just – running three down the field. And even when they weren't, Mahomes was were just putting the ball in the bread basket where it needed to be. He actually had a 72-yard touchdown to Hardman in the third quarter. They got called back on a very iffy holding penalty on Lashawn McCoy. So mm. uh, they could have put up some points then if it wasn't for that. But this offense is just so special. They, you know, He can make any throw. There's another pass to a Hardman that got called back where Mahomes was rolling out to his right. Throws back across the field, you know, pretty much a throw that any quarterback's gonna get yelled at for making, but Mahomes has actually, uh, you know, got the arm strength to do it. So it, it was so much fun to watch. The, the interesting thing though, to take away is that Damian Williams did actually uh, hurt his knee in the fourth quarter and did not return. So in the post game, didn't give much clarification on how serious. And Andy Reid also mentioned that LaShawn McCoy has an ankle injury. Again, not mm-hmm. sure how serious these are, but more than anything, I think it's just a reminder that, you know, if you got that extra bench spot, Get these guys and even get Darwin Thompson, because I think even if Shady or Dane gets injured, you know, we're still going to see somewhat of a two back committee. And as we saw today with the Marcus Robinson, you know, even if even if you're an auxiliary kind of option in this offense, that's still enough to put up massive fantasy numbers.
3: Yeah, I mean, the Chiefs have done a lot of positive things so far this season, but running the football is not it. You mentioned 31 yards. Sean McCoy had 23 of them. Damian Williams, eight, with a combined 20 carries between the two. Uh, Travis Kelsey, nine targets, seven receptions, 170 yards, and a touchdown. You mentioned Mecole Harden as well. Six targets, four catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown. We all expected some regression to hit from Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if he found his kryptonite yet. Uh, He's just been fantastic. Um, Ian, thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you later in the week.
5: One more thing uh, before you. go. Yeah, go go ahead. Your namesake, Josh Jacobs. Wow, man. He had this 51-yard run where he showed burst, agility, and then 45 yards downfield, he put his shoulder into the safety and picked up an extra five yards. I mean, cannot say enough good things about him running the ball. With that said – you know, we talked kind of on, on our Sunday show this morning. This was a test to see how game script dependent he is and didn't exactly pass with with flying colors. Jacobs had zero targets. He played 26 snaps. Jalen Richard and DeAndre Washington combined for five targets and 16 snaps. So Jacobs is still that guy, you know, and if, as long as they're not kind of getting crushed like they were today, I think he's going to flirt with 20 touches on any given week. But this is a guy, you know, week three at Minnesota. We got to worry if Josh Jacobs is going to be on the field
3: when they get down. Nineteen seventeen, the Colts came out on top over the Titans. I'll bring in Hayden Winks now to cover who covered this game. Hayden, I look at the quarterback play: less than one hundred and sixty yards by Jacoby Brissett, less than one hundred and sixty yards by Marcus Mariota. Just reading the stat sheet, it seems like it's a dream for Mike Vrabel. So, how did the Titans not win this game?
0: Yeah, it was just a sloppy game on both sides. Uh, both teams trying to establish the run because their quarterbacks were struggling against pressure as has been the case for both for both quarterbacks um yeah the Colts just did a little bit better in the red zone uh Jacoby Brissett hit T.Y. Hilton Eric Ebron and Paris Campbell on short little passes and uh that was the difference yeah just the Titans just don't have any explosiveness on the on the outside right now and um it's just holding
3: them back so the Titans had a chance to win this game though right like they had like a minute left or two minutes and the ball and I mean, this was one of those moments that Marcus Mariota could have not changed his career, obviously, but maybe started in, like, a positive direction, and it just seems like he's come up short in a lot of these moments.
0: The Titans did not have a play over 26 yards um, today, so it's just he's not the most accurate passer. He struggles against pressure, and uh, those things are just basically leading to short dump-offs, and uh, against the Colts' zone defense is just Um, A a bunch of short plays stacked on top of each other and uh,
3: nothing much outside of that. So there were a couple surprises. I mean, not Marlon Mack getting 20 carries for 51 yards, but Jordan Wilkins, five carries for 82 yards and one long carry of 55. Like no one really perceives him as this big play threat, but it kind of seems like he was a spark that the Colts needed at the right time because uh, T.Y. Hilton didn't have much Eric Ebron, so on and so forth, like four receptions of the highest total for any of their receivers.
0: Yeah, he he hit the hole really hard on one play. Um, got past the secondary, uh, showed some some good speed and uh, got tackled like within like the twenty yard line, I believe. Um, and it was another bad game for Naeem Hines. I think he can be drops basically across across the board. Um, even if uh, Marlon Mack got injured, I think it's going to be Jordan Wilkins hmm. possibly a vet signing and not necessarily Naeem Hines. I think uh, he's been limited to just like five or six touches in each of the two games so yeah I think
3: it's basically time to move on even in a really sloppy offensive game for both sides Derek Henry got his 15 carries 81 yards and a touchdown but the major difference between this week and last week Hayden seems like the lack of big plays on the Titans side Um, I mean, AJ Brown had two long catches last week, this week, just five targets, three catches for 25 yards. Corey Davis actually logged a catch this week, five targets, three catches, 38 yards. Delaney Walker, six catches, four receptions for 39 yards. I mean, it's basically the same thing that I'm saying over and over again. It just seemed like this, this team completely lacked any excitement.
0: Yeah, it really did. Uh, coffee got through, got through this game for me, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's Derrick Hem- Derek Henry at the goal line. And, that's and it. I, Yeah, and then he'll, he'll bust off a couple of big plays. He was uh, an ankle tackle away from another one today. Um, but, yeah, uh, the Titans even went to uh, – they threw a, a play-action pass to their left tackle today um, for a touchdown. Uh, otherwise, Derrick Henry would have had a second touchdown.
3: So that was pretty tilting. I'm shocked that they paid Adam Humphrey so much money and aren't using him. I mean, he had two, rece- two yep. targets, two receptions and negative one yards, it kind of seems like Maybe he was insurance for Delaney Walker, but like they can't coexist in this offense together. Anyways, I mean, I feel like we've spent so much time on this game. It was cool to see Paris Campbell get his first touchdown, one reception, 12 yards for that kind of crossing route touchdown the back left side of the corner. Uh, Brissette's making a couple throws. Like, again, the volume's not necessarily there, 28 attempts, 17 completions, but he's making a couple throws that are allowing the Colts either to stay in the game or even win this game like they did. Uh, Let's move over to the Saints at the Rams. Big storyline here early, Hayden, was uh, Drew Brees, I believe, injuring his thumb either in the first quarter or in the first half, and then he missed the remainder, and he could be out an extended period of time.
0: Yeah, he got hit by Aaron Donald right in his throwing hand. It looks like it could be a thumb I- issue. Um, he went over the sidelines, got it taped up. Um, the trainers were looking at it for a while. He looked in obvious pain. He tried to grab a football, but outside of that, did nothing. I don't think the broadcast ever showed him throw a football on the sidelines. He was in a hat almost immediately and did not have his helmet on. Um, he tried to give it a go at some point in the second half, but it didn't look like it was too serious. So uh, definitely really concerning. Teddy Bridgewater did not look very great. Um, they have a game in Seattle next week, um, so a lot a lot on the line.
3: Twenty seven to nine, the Rams won this. Uh, yeah, you mentioned it, Teddy. Just seventeen of thirty, hundred and sixty five yards no touchdowns. And because of that, I mean, Alvin Kamara was limited as well. 13 carries for 45 yards um, as a rusher. And then as a receiver, just three targets, one reception, 15 yards. That video of Drew Brees kind of trying to grip a football and immediately dropping it certainly did not look good at all. Um, On the Rams side, I mean, Jared Goff had one awesome throw in the first half, Outside of that and outside a couple of drives, everything was fine in this Rams offense. But again, the most important story here, Hayden, is the split backfield between Todd Gurley and Malcolm Brown. Last week, we saw that Malcolm Brown really had the bulk of the work in the first three quarters, and that included goal line work. What happened this week with Todd Gurley versus Malcolm Brown?
0: Their roles basically uh, switched from last week. So Gurley got most of the goal line carries. Um, he was seen on a stationary bike when they were at, like, at the one-yard line um, in the fourth quarter. But... It was back to not quite the 2018 Gurley, like not at all, but he had four targets after only being targeted once last week, more goal, goal line carry. So um, I think it's it's going to be pretty inconsistent. I'm not even convinced that the Rams know exactly what they're doing. He was – last week Gurley was in on the fourth quarter. This week it was a bigger lead and Gurley was still in. So I'm not sure exactly what the Rams are going to be doing moving forward. Um, I think it's safe to put Gurley on the RB1-2 borderline um but you can't be super confident week to week.
3: 16 carries 63 yards and a touchdown for Todd Gurley with a long run of 20. Malcolm Brown six carries 37 yards with a long run of 13. Um yeah, you mentioned it. Four targets this time, three catches but just 4 yards from Todd Gurley. Meanwhile, Malcolm Brown had a reception for 10. Both backs look talented. Um So it is interesting, again, that Gurley had 19 touches this week compared to, I think, like 14 or 15 last week. Still not in that 20 to 25 range that we are accustomed to in 2018. And the real standout was that Cooper Cup play, right? That he was down at the one-yard line, looked like he scored, broke a number of tackles. But that's awesome to see Cooper Cup work back from an ACL. Obviously, no one Ram is going to, like exceed expectations necessarily, or like break out amongst the rest, but each one has an opportunity in any one game to be that lead wide receiver.
0: Yeah. I think Cooper Cup might be the most consistent him and Robert Woods and Robert Woods actually had his worst game since going back all the way to 2017, um, in terms of receptions. And yeah, I think Brandon cooks, he, he looked good at times, but only saw four targets, his home road splits. Um, are, are pretty dramatic and they're heading into Cleveland. But, yeah, Goff isn't playing good enough to, to keep all three of them as top 25 options week to week. Um, so, yeah, I think we're going to see a little bit of inconsistent play from at least one of one of the three each week.
3: Bringing on Jesse Pantusco now for the Patriots' absolute destruction of the Miami Dolphins, 43 to nothing. I mean, Jesse, let's not waste people's time too much with this game. The main story was Antonio Brown – eight targets, four catches, 56 yards, and a touchdown. How was that connection early and often with Tom Brady?
1: Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, as, as guys that have to rank fantasy players on a weekly basis, we were like before the, you know, before the games today, we were talking in the Road to World Slack chat, and none of us really knew where to rank Antonio because there were so many, you know, question marks and misleading reports, um, but the report from Ian Rappaport Ian Rappaport this morning that they were going to beat him early and often really proved to be true. Uh, it was four, three catches for 36 yards, I believe, on the opening drive. He was the only player that Tom Brady targeted on the opening drive. And Antonio didn't play a full complement of snaps, which I guess was to be expected. And not they didn't really need to throw the ball a lot in a game where they won going away. But uh, you know, for fantasy purposes, I think his. Usage was probably was pretty positive. There there were you know some kinks in the armor uh, in the second half. At, well, after he, he made that great touchdown catch on the, the 20, 20 yard back shoulder catch off a pass from Brady late in the second quarter, uh, the connection wasn't as strong in the second half. They went 0 for 4, didn't didn't connect at all. Uh, in, but they were still targeting him, including a couple in the end zone. So it seems like they, you know, he's he's going to be a fixture in this offense, which, you know, they you know made made a pretty big risk in taking him after everything that happened in Oakland.
3: Obviously, the game script is not one that's going to happen probably the rest of the season for the Patriots. Tom Brady 20 of 28, 264 and two touchdowns. If Antonio Brown is going to get targets and that many in the red zone, then someone is losing them as well. Julian Edelman Four targets, four catches, 51 yards. Maybe the person who will see the least opportunity from this is Josh Gordon. Five targets, two catches for 19 yards. Would you say the same thing watching this game?
1: I think maybe both of them to some degree. Uh, Gordon didn't catch a pass until the second half. He was very quiet. And it is hard to glean anything from a game that was a total blowout. Although, you know, last week's game against Pittsburgh was a blowout too. So he might do this game script a lot for the Patriots. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Gordon not involved and even even Edelman only saw four targets, which I wrote up in his blurb, I believe was his fewest since midway through two thousand and sixteen and Antonio, when he was out there, he did play in the slot a bit, actually on fifty seven point one percent of his snaps, and that 's you know usually where Edelman lines up
3: so Sony Michelle obviously saw like fifteen touches last week or fourteen touches last week for fifteen yards. This week, 21 carries, 85 yards, and a touchdown. The rest of the backfield didn't see a lot. Um, this should have been a Sony Michelle game, and it was, I guess. But um, any concerns about this running game, or is it kind of what we expect?
1: This was a total bounce back spot uh, and a really good matchup against uh, you know a Dolphins team that is not really NFL NFL caliber at the moment. Um, and yeah, and yeah, Michelle was pretty much the only thing that didn't go right for the Patriots against Pittsburgh last week. You were right. I think it was 15 carries for 14 yards. Um, you know, he, he did lose a fumble late in this game. He had, he scored one touchdown on the, on the opening drive and had another touchdown that didn't count it, it, I, on review. It was upheld because it was too close to call, but uh, even watching on television, it looked like he got it. They marked him like a few inches short of the goal line um but yeah um you, you know you know Michelle's not going to see a lot of uh, basically any role in the passing game because that's what they have James White for and Rex Burkhead was involved also but all all summer you know we were hearing that the biggest threat to to Michelle you know was going to be Damien Harris and he hasn't even been active these first two games so mm-hmm. on lead downs and around the goal line it's going to be Sony and to me that makes him a weekly RB2 for an offense that is you know, put up 33 points last week and and 43 this this week.
3: I don't want to waste anyone's time. Again, Dolphins were complete trash. Josh Rosen came in the game, uh, had a couple deep drops, 97 total yards for yards for him, an in interception. Ryan Fitzpatrick even worse, 11 of 21, 89 yards and three interceptions. Give me one takeaway from the Dolphins because even one, I'm sure, is kind of stretching it uh, when watching this game.
1: That could be construed as positive.
3: Anything. When if if you think a positive is in the distance for this team, if they are going to get a win, this is how they're going to do it. I mean, what is there at all to say about the Miami Dolphins other than maybe Jesse? This might be one of the worst teams you have ever seen in the last ten, twenty years.
1: Yeah, they're really bad, and it seems like hyperbole to talk about zero and sixteen. But this team, this seems like the type of team that it could happen to. They're just you know so talent depleted. And Kenyon Drake, who's probably their best offensive player at this moment, uh, you know, we, this morning on Rotor World, we did a blurb on him maybe getting traded. And, uh, yeah, there's just not a lot to like. And, you know, I, I think we're at the point where you want to see Josh Rosen because, you know, Fitz, Fitzpatrick threw three interceptions, two pick sixes today. You know, you know what you're getting with him. And you want to see if Rosen is the answer, you know, worthy of a long-term commitment or anything like that. But it's just it's just so hard to tell to tell because this offensive line uh, missing Laramie Tunzel, Jesse Davis just getting you know ripped apart at left tackle, Rosen fighting for his life. His interception uh, on the last play of the game came came with heavy pressure coming for New England, and the Patriots aren't a team that brings heavy pressure that often. Um, but there's just the, between the supporting cast, a really weak offensive line. I don't think that there's any way that Rosen. Can succeed, and it's really a shame because he's a guy I love coming out of UCLA, and he's been put in two two of the worst situations possible his first two years in the league, with poor coaching and a, and a weak supporting cast in Arizona, and now, uh, you know, a, a very a very weak supporting cast in Miami.
3: So let's close out your hit with the other game you covered. That's the Bears and the Broncos. Um, we go from bad quarterback play in the Dolphins to bad quarter play on the bears um metro trubisky 16 of 27 120 yards but jesse should even get credit for this game winning drive that he he didn't even construct it but was a part of was like an ancillary piece of uh, because as time expired the bears did hit a game winning field goal
1: well i guess the credit would have to go to eddie panera who made the you know a do or die kick from 52 yards out which has got to be such a you know, it was such a welcome relief for the Bears after last year's Cody Parking double doink nightmare in the playoffs against Philadelphia. But yeah, this is the second underwhelming week in a row for Trubisky, who really struggled against the Packers in the in the opening Thursday night game. And today he didn't make any mistakes, I guess, no interceptions, didn't take any sacks. But he, he, only, he only uh averaged four point four yards per attempt. Um, wasn't really stretching the field. You knew Allen Robinson had a tough matchup against Chris Harris, who who followed him throughout. And, uh, yeah, on that last drive, Allen Robinson did finally break three for the the 25-yard catch to set up the game-winning field goal, which was a little suspect because it seemed like the game was over, but the the refs credited credited, uh, them with the timeout, gave them one second to to line up for that kick, and, you know, it's it's Denver the ball flies. So uh, Pinero had no trouble hitting it from 52 yards up.
3: What also stands out in the stat sheet, Jesse, is David Montgomery seeing 18 carries, just 62 yards from those 18 carries, though, in a touchdown. But stands out because last week, Mike Davis outsnapped him. Last week, Tariq Cohen outsnapped him. Um, it seemed like they used him as possibly a feature back in this game.
1: Yeah, I would agree. That would probably be my biggest takeaway from this game as a whole, besides out, uh, Emmanuel Sanders on the other side looking so healthy, which is crazy coming off the torn Achilles. But yeah. Uh, Montgomery didn't have a great game, 3.4 yards per carry, but he got the goal line look, scored his first uh, NFL touchdown. And yeah, more importantly, he led the Bears in backfield snaps, which was the opposite of the opening week where he saw the fewest. Um, And I mentioned Tariq Cohen in that backfield mix, although he basically was used as a slot receiver in week one. Was used a little more traditionally this week as sort of you know his more his usual receiving down roll, did did get four carries didn't get any in the first game, but uh, yeah Montgomery led the backfield in, in touches snaps was the goal line guy and those those are all the things you want for fantasy purposes you know the lack of efficiency it's not great but uh, you know that is, you want the guy who's getting the goal line touches and you know that that's Montgomery. He, uh, you know, he didn't look last week. He didn't look like the RB two back end RB two RB three that we drafted him to be. But this week was a lot closer to that version that I think a lot of us were envisioning uh, in in draft this summer.
3: Mike Davis just three touches again compared to last week. Um, Joe Flacco, fifty attempts. That is not a winning formula yet. Basically, the Broncos won this game because of his connection to Emmanuel Sanders, like a last second knee dragging. Um, touchdown in the back right corner, then rather than go for the tie in overtime, uh, Vic Fangio goes for the win in his what he thought and goes for a two-point conversion, which was also from the slot to Emmanuel Sanders. Um, look, I don't want really anyone attached to Joe Flacco, but I mean, what a performance from Emmanuel Sanders, like you said, just off a short period of time from that torn Achilles last year.
1: And what a gutsy call by Fangio too to to go for it there. Uh, you know uh, that that was that was a pretty gutsy call and it and it worked out. And Sanders made an incredible catch before that uh, with as you mentioned in the slack, Santonio San Holmes esque. And it was it was a nice bit of resiliency by by Flacco as well because they they drove on the previous drive you know down to the two two yard line. They had third and goal and. Flacco gets intercepted by Kendall Fuller on a ball that he forced to Sanders. So both of them kind of made good on that. And, you know, in, in the preseason, the first time that I saw Sanders, I think, was the dress rehearsal game against San Francisco. And he only played about a quarter. But I was just shocked at how, you know, how fast he still looked coming off what many consider to be the worst injury in sports, worse than an ACL. And, you know, Sanders not only is is showing that he's at full speed, he's getting the volume, he's getting the snaps, he's showing an immediate connection with Joe Flacco, and Cortland Sutton has too. He had a good game against Oakland, wasn't really, had had a tougher time today, but made several do-or-die catches, uh, including one on fourth and long in in the fourth quarter to to keep things going for Denver. So I think both of those guys are going to be part of the the weekly fantasy conversation, Sanders and, and Sutton.
3: Royce Freeman, 11 carries, 54 yards. Phillip Lindsay 13 carries, 36 yards. Kind of a non-starter for both. But Royce Freeman actually had five receptions, which was surprising on seven targets for 48 yards. Jesse, thanks so much, man. Talk to you next week. Nick, a lot of talk this week about Gardner Minshew. Not just, you know, his personality, his style, but also the way he came in and played quite well last week. Did it hold up? Did Minshew Mania make an appearance in a 12-13 to 13 loss to the Houston Texans?
6: A little uh, Captain America flavor, this guy. Um, <laughs> he, he started off really – I mean, he didn't seem to have much going on in the, at the beginning of this game. The pressure was getting to him a little bit. He was t- holding the ball too long, uh, taking some sacks. But he definitely turned it around after the jitters got out of him. Uh, second half, he played much better than the first half. Uh used his legs to create some plays as well. I think he led the team with, like, 56 rushing notes or something like that. Um, had a couple big runs on the final drive but, Almost would have tied them the game. They went for the win with a two-point conversion at the end. Lamar, uh, not Lamar Miller, Leonard Fournette was stuffed at the uh, goal line on the two-point conversion attempt. But uh, just a mixed bag from Minshew, honestly. I mean, I'm not, like, super excited about him, but I don't uh, think he's, like, really bad or anything. He's just, like, a mid-range, mid-tier mid, mid mid-tier quarterback for me right now.
3: Yeah, it seemed like his internal clock just wasn't there at the beginning. He was 23 of 33, yeah. 213 yards, and a touchdown. Also took four sacks. Also lost a fumble. Um, I do want to get to the end of this game, though, because like he made some plays, especially to basically tie the game. Yet instead of tying Uh the game, Doug Marone decided to go for a two point conversion with like 30 seconds left in the clock, something like that. And rather than, you know, put it in the hands of the guy who got you the score and Gardner Minshew and his ability to create time and find anyone down the field. They decide from that two yard line to hand it off to Leonard Fournette straight up the middle, like what the hell, Director yeah.
6: Maron? I, I was honestly surprised he didn't get in. Like he had the second surge and like it looked like he was going to get in, and then like the defender just stonewalled him out of the goal. I mean, he nine times out of ten, I think that gets in. But I mean, like you said, I mean, I don't know. I, I like putting the ball in front of his hands, and I know it's a kind of a cop out, but I like putting the ball in front of his hands. I if he's your best player, he's your offensive centerpiece. I'd if, if it went the other way and like Minshew wouldn't have thrown a completion, I think we would have been saying the same thing the other way. So I don't know. But one thing I'm kind of concerned about here is D. Westbrook in this spot. I mean, he doesn't seem to have very much of a connection with Minshew. Like they didn't act like, together during the summer, like Minshew had the second team and Westbrook ran all those reps with the first team. So Minshew kind of has this like uh connection with DJ Chark, who they practiced together a lot this summer. So I'm kind of, kind of intrigued by that connection. He, uh, Chark, led the team in targets this week, caught another touchdown. So, I'm not I'm not super up on Westbrook after we were um, expecting a breakout this year.
3: Yeah, five targets for Westbrook, just one catch for three yards. Meanwhile, D.J. Chark, nine targets, seven catches, 55 yards, oh. and a touchdown. And Chris Conley, five targets, four receptions, and 73 yards. So yeah, maybe D.D. is down as that wide receiver three in the group. Um, on to the Texans real quick. I mean, Deshaun Jackson had an amazing uh, primetime performance against the Saints defense yet against the Jaguars defense who were lit up last week. He goes 16 of 29, 159 yards takes four sacks and only adds five rushing yards, a touchdown to go on top of that. But it certainly reads like it was not a good performance from Deshaun Watson.
6: Yeah. that that touchdown definitely saved his fantasy day for sure. I mean, this offense just did not move. Like, Carlos Hyde was their best player, which is, which is wow. sad to say, but he had 20 carries for 90 yards. He's looked actually pretty good the first two weeks. I mean, anytime he gets the ball, he's getting five, six yards of carry. right Floyd, down for 10, 15 yards. So, I mean, he's been running the ball pretty well, and he's kind of a putting a cap on Duke Johnson's upside as well. I mean we were talking all about Duke Johnson after that trade, but he just hasn't been doing much of anything the first two weeks besides that like late fourth quarter run he had last week against the Saints like thirty two yards. But other than that he hasn't done a whole lot. But he should have had a twenty one yard touchdown catch, but him and Deshaun Watson weren't on the same page early in the game. Like had a miscommunication. Johnson was wide open near the pylon and uh just they just they didn't they didn't communicate well and like the mm-hmm. ball just fell in completely with Johnson. No no one around him.
3: Kind of shows you that if Deshaun Watson doesn't, you know, take it under his own wing to to make a play, then, you know, Will Fuller has seven targets, four catches, 40 yards. Dandre Hopkins has eight targets, five catches, 40 yards. Kenny Stills has two catches, 38 yards. Like, nothing's going to happen, obviously, unless Deshaun Watson does it, especially when Carlos Hyde gets 20 carries. Um, okay, the other game you had was the Seahawks at the Steelers. Seahawks end up winning this one 28 to 26 it seemed like a nail biter towards the end but should it have even been that way I mean Ben Roethlisberger I believe after halftime did not play an elbow injury and Mason Rudolph came in 12 of 19 112 yards two touchdowns and interception how do you look
6: Chris Carson lost a fumble and then him and Russell Wilson didn't didn't connect on a handoff uh, late in the game as well and so I don't know who they charged that second fumble to but I think they give it to Carson then maybe change it to Wilson I'm not sure but that fumble late in the game was kind of what made this game close. Uh, that set up the Steelers at the three-yard line. Rudolph threw a, a second short touchdown. To man McDonald. He hit him twice for both of his touchdowns, eight yards out and three yards out. Um, first one was a nice little tight end screen that Rudolph and McDonald stuck with um, through the trash, as they say, um, to get that touchdown. Uh, Rudolph didn't look bad. I mean, his interception was definitely on Dante Moncrief, who had his fifth drop of the season already and then was immediately benched after that drop. So... He's definitely screaming down the uh, road of getting cut there in Pittsburgh, I think. I don't, I don't think he's going to be playing and again anytime soon. Um, we'll see how uh, scans go on Big Ben's elbow. But, I mean, I'm not obviously not too excited about Rudolph going to San Francisco next week, by any means.
3: Right. It took a while for Juju to get going in this one, didn't it? Eight targets, five receptions, 84 yards. Um, you mentioned James Washington. I mean, He and Mason Rudolph go back to their days at Oklahoma State, two catches, 23. Vance McDonald showed up this week, seven targets, seven catches, 38 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, I know, again, let's, let's bank on the worst here. Let's put it that way, Nick. If Mason Rudolph is the starter next week, I'm sure it drastically impacts all the names I just mentioned
6: yeah i mean you would have to like washington from a perspective that they played college ball together they played all preseason together the last two years they have an absolutely real connection um washington was definitely getting the snaps over moncrief uh second half of the game so i'd be excited about him but juju had caught uh rudolph's first career completion for 46 yards downfield didn't do much anything after that um the red zone scores went to McDonald, and then uh James Conner converted that one-yard rushing touchdown after Jalen Samuels do it through a uh, pass interference call in the end zone. So I'm still high on Juju. I just kind of hope that Big Ben's elbow checks out all right, and we don't see a whole lot of Rudolph over the next few weeks. I, hopefully, hopefully Big Ben plays next week in in San Francisco. I'm still sticking by Juju as an elite wide receiver. One just obviously would like to see him find the end zone here um, sooner rather than later.
3: Two quick notes on the Seahawks: Russell Wilson. 29 of 35, 300 yards, and three touchdowns. There's two touchdowns. Well, two of those three went to Will Disley, who was a star in week one and two last year as well, but then got hurt. Uh, five for 50 and two touchdowns. I believe, like, they were impressive touchdown catches, like um, off-body, had to adjust, make them away from, and extend. Um, I do want to hit on this backfield. You mentioned that Chris Carson had two fumbles. Maybe one, he it really wasn't his fault, but, again, uh-huh. two fumbles. Then Rashad Penny came in. 10 carries, 62 yards, and a touchdown compared to Chris Carson's 15 carries, 60 yards, and no touchdowns. Is Chris Carson playing himself out of a job here?
6: I wouldn't go that far, but I could certainly see Penny closing the gap a little bit. I mean, I don't think – they still went to Carson late in the game. There was a fourth and one there where they were going for it to seal the game. Like, they went for it, and Carson was the guy who got the ball. So he converted fourth down. Uh, they won the game on that on that carry, so – I don't think they're going away from Carson by any means, but I think Penny could certainly be closing the gaps with like a 60-40 split maybe instead of like a 65 or 40, 35 or 70-30 split. So, I don't know. Penny's touchdown run was like 37 yards untouched. Uh, didn't really have to do much on the run. So, he didn't do much outside of that carry. So, I don't know. I'm still pretty high on Carson.
3: I was stunned at how many start-sick questions I had for Tyler Lockett on Sunday morning during Road to Road Live Tyler Lockett in this game after just one catch last week, 12 targets, 10 receptions, 79 yards, uh, pretty easy production for him. I guess that like maybe, yeah. maybe the Bengals just played him differently, obviously than the Steelers did. Is is it that simple to say?
6: Yeah. And just, he couldn't break anything after catching the ball. He was like catching it and just couldn't break any tackles. Like he couldn't make any big plays. So it was just like catching and getting tackled immediately. obviously for 7.9 yards per catch, uh, Obviously, you expect more from that with Tyler Lockett, who I think averages over, like, 15 yards per catch in his career. So kind of an anomaly. Um, Obviously, like him next week against the Saints at home, I think he's going to have a big game after Cooper Cup just went five catches, 120 yards against the Saints this week,
3: Uh, lost that touchdown at the goal line. So I like Lockett a lot coming up this week in week three. DK Metcalf, seven targets, three receptions, 61 yards, and a touchdown, no offense to Will Disley, but a nice one-two punch forming with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. <laughs> hey,
6: DK, if, you're gonna, if you watch this game, he made an acrobatic, acrobatic 16-yard catch on his first catch. Then he caught a Ooh. ball at like, close the line of scrimmage and like stiff arm two dudes Ooh. for a big in, and then beat a safety out of the slot for his 28-yard touchdown. So this dude's super impressive. I'm really excited about this guy this year.
3: Maybe some improvement each and every week. Um, would be yep. fun for someone like DK Metcalf to kind of following that storyline closely. All right, man, thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Dallas traveled to the Washington Redskins, ended up winning 31-21. to John Daigle, looking at the stat sheet, it looks like a very well-balanced offensive performance for this Dallas Cowboys. Are you ready to do some math, Josh? <laughs> no, it's late Sunday night.
2: <laughs> if, uh, too bad, because that wasn't rhetorical.
3: If Dak finished 26-30,
2: of 30, Okay. But he started 3 of 7 in the game. What did he finish then?
3: He finished 23 of 23.
2: That is correct. Wow,
3: that Elon education 23, 23 23
2: did not throw a single incompletion in the second half. Absolutely just wreck the Washington defense in the second half. They moved the ball so freely. It's funny because they extended Zeke now, but they extended him obviously to be a compliment of what their offense does. Hmm. Um, it's just amazing watching him. Now we have two weeks of starts under his belts in Kellen Moore's new look offense, and he has been 51 of 62 for an 85% completion rate, Jeez. over 10 yards in the tent, seven touchdowns in one pick.
3: Was it as balanced as last week? Like, Did the offense look the same as last week in terms of play action, throw downfield to Michael Gallup, to Amar Cooper? I mean, I'm looking at the stats again. And we even had the resurgence, the birth of Devin Smith, something that so many of us have been waiting for since his second round pick out of Ohio State, and now I guess he's finally healthy. He got three passes for 74 yards and a touchdown. Much like how Dak initially got into the offense,
2: only because – Romo and then Kellen Moore got hurt. Mm-hmm. Now Devin Smith is in the offense only because Tavon Austin was inactive this game. Like had Tavon Austin played, you would not see Devin Smith breaking open for fifty-one yard touchdown sprints and on post routes down the middle of the field. But here we are now, and that's the thing: Cooper and Gallup they have higher floors than they did last year because of this offense. The concern, and I don't even think it's so much concern because they're safer starts weekly now. But there's ceilings because this offense diversifies its usage. Like, mm. if they get everyone involved. As you saw, Gallup had a team high eight targets. Cooper was 444 and one. But had he not scored that touchdown, like, he's still living off six targets right now. They literally just get every single person involved, Jason Witten and Blake Jarwin included.
3: Yeah, I'll just run through a few stats here. Dak was, like you said, 26 of 30, 269, three touchdowns. He even had a 42-yard run to go along with 69 rushing yards. Ezekiel Elliott had 23 carries, 111 yards, and a touchdown. And compare that to Tony Pollard, who only saw four carries for 22 yards, a long run of 10. But, yeah, I mean, Devin Smith. three.
2: Sorry to cut you off, but like, I need to make sure I get this in because we get so many questions on Michael Gallup on right. our Sunday morning start-sit show and throughout the week. and And I was questioning it, thinking – Oh, like maybe we still treat Gallup too highly. But Gallup is honestly a weekly flex option, if not WR3 in this offense. Um, Dak missed him again for a wide-open touchdown. Like he just ran down the middle wide open, and Dak overthrew him fingertip-length, just as we saw last week. So it's so it's still Gallup gets that floor in his targets because he's used in this offense frequently, but he's still getting downfield shots, and so he's a safer play week in and week out.
3: Anything relevant on Washington's side? I mean, Case Keenum, the stats look okay, 26-37, 221 for two touchdowns. It certainly seems like he has his favorite target in Terry McLaurin, who had nine targets, five catches, 62 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, other than that, it was Trey Quinn, you know, getting his four catches for 36 yards, uh, Paul Richardson three catches for 16 yards, and we know that Adrian Pearson obviously ran into his offensive line a lot because he had 10 carries for 25 yards and a touchdown.
2: Yeah, and Keenum again started weeping under pressure. Uh, Terry McLaurin ran wide open down the middle of the field, and uh, Keenum just didn't even look downfield. He just dropped it underneath for an inflation, um, shallow over the middle. But it's clear that McLaurin and Chris Thompson are the only fantasy pieces of this offense. McLaurin, especially, like 5'62 and 1 doesn't look too impressive. But mind you, that like Byron Jones, the Cowboys' top corner, came back healthy this game draped him the entire game, and yet McLaurin still fought him off for a one-yard touchdown and broke open for a 27-yard gain uh, while it wasn't garbage time. So McLaurin is like clearly the number one wideout in Washington for the foreseeable future. Like That kid is truly special.
3: I hate using... Fantasy players on bad football teams, but if there's someone on on the Redskins to use, it certainly is Terry McLaurin. All right, the other game you had, Daigle, was the Los Angeles Chargers losing to the Detroit Lions. Um, I don't want to, you know, ruin the storyline, the game flow of this game, but midway through the fourth quarter, it seemed like Matthew Stafford threw a go-ahead touchdown pass. Then the Los Angeles Chargers were driving for a 45-yard field goal, but in, instead of taking that 45-yard field goal... Uh, Philip Rivers throws and forces an interception into the left side of the end zone.
2: It was a 3rd and 10, and when he threw it, I couldn't believe it, because he had leaned on Keenan Allen heavily, 15 targets, and this is the first game, mind you, without Hunter Henry and Melvin Gordon this season, so we've been asking where do these targets go, and they went 15 towards Keenan Allen, which was over a 41% target share, but he got a little too frisky in the end, uh, tossing it to the corner of the end zone, and and just double coverage, just plain sight double coverage, terrible throw, picked off, end of game.
3: We expected this Lions defense to be balanced, to have maybe even more of a run focus, but they had 30 attempts. Matthew Stafford completed 22 of those for 245 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. Those two interceptions probably put his team behind a little bit. Then they only had 28 carries. I mean, on Johnson, 12 carries, 41 yards with a long rush of nine. Ty Johnson. Five carries. Matthew Stafford, four Forverson, CJ Anderson, five. Jade McKissick, two. It seems like Dago. as we go along, I mean, it's only week two, but Carry on Johnson, ro- people who roster Carry on Johnson should maybe feel a little bit worried about his running usage so far.
2: Yeah, that was the big takeaway from this game from the Lions' backfield perspective because last week, Carry on Johnson at least was the early down runner. And Although everyone else was sprinkled into the passing game, Kerryon Johnson was still the primary beneficiary on carries. However, this week, Kerryon Johnson was taken off the field for carries, and Ty Johnson, like you said, was handed five carries. We weren't expecting that. J.D. McKissick even getting involved behind T.J. Anderson. So now not only are they taking away at his routes, they're taking away at his carries. Hmm. It is truly a four-headed backfield with McKissick sprinkling in somewhere like 15 to 10% of their offensive snaps. But that matters on limited touches. And so Kerryon Johnson lucked his way into a – it was actually a nifty play calling that I didn't expect from the Lions. Um, fake handoff to Damian Medola, defense and the camera go that way. And then all of a sudden, Kerryon Johnson is free on the back end and the flats to run it out. Ne- bobbled it, nearly dropped it, but eventually ran it in for a 33-yard touchdown reception. Um, it's just – it's what we've said all season, and we will continue to say into week three that his usage is worrisome each and every week.
3: And talking about usage, T.J. Hawkins and Danny got major run last week, combined only one catch and four targets for seven yards in this one. So while we know Kenny Galladay is going to get his, Marvin Jones is going to get his, even Kerryon Johnson is going to get his and everyone else in that backfield, you can't say the same necessarily for T.J. Hawkins and Danny Mandola. Quickly, on the Chargers' day goal, Phillip Rivers, zero touchdown throws, one interception, 21 of 36 for 293 yards. But Austin Eckler looks fantastic. 17 carries, 68 yards, and a touchdown to go with six receptions on six targets for 67 yards.
2: Which puts him at 12 receptions for the year. Nice. Which puts him at over 100 rushing and over 100 receiving for the year. Which puts him at four total touchdowns all around from the year. Like, he is legitimately an RB1 in 12-team leagues. Fringe, like, fringe RB1 in 10-team leagues. And it's just insane because even though they've lost Hunter Henry, that helps Austin Eckler. Even though their offensive line is terrible, which like, did not go well with Rivers, which explains his numbers today against the Lions front seven, Austin Eckler, it helped. Because then Rivers had to unleash it early to get him the ball. Um, I, would, I, I think Eckler, I would go ahead and say he's a matchup proof right now. You start him no matter what. Game script, matchup proof, all of it. Because he's an RB1. The-, the offense runs through him, not around him.
3: The Lions are undefeated. 1-0-1. Are you buying the Lions at all, No. <laughs> I'm not.
2: <laughs> I mean, their defense, we knew their defense was going to be, get better. They made a concerted effort to make them better. Um, it sucks they're not giving On Johnson the ball more because he is legitimately one of the best athletes and premier runners in the league. And I feel like they don't understand what they have because he continues to make something out of nothing each and every week. But... I'm still not buying them. Um, we saw T.G. Hawkinson, a star in week one, against the Cardinals, who are now on watch because they've allowed two tight ends to go for over 100 yards against them now through two weeks. But, uh, but yeah, and they, they took Hawkinson, like, the, the most athletic tight end of the draft, and then just rendered him useless again, 20 air yards on three targets. Uh, yeah, he was the big loser in all this, while Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones were floats, even though the Lions' offense, yes, I, I'm completely worried about them.
3: Anthony, the scoreboard reads 41-17, to the 49ers over the Bengals on the road. So, obviously going into this game, a big storyline was Tevin Coleman being out. Reading the stat sheet, we have Matt Breida, 12 carries, 121 yards. Raheem Mostert, 13 carries, 83 yards. Jeff Wilson Jr., 10 carries, 34 yards. While the game was at all close, was it really a three-headed backfield?
7: Yeah, and we haven't really gotten a timetable on Tevin Coleman. High ankle sprain can be two to six week injury, so I'm not really sure how long this will last. But this week was a fault on committee. Matt Breida started, and there's really no doubt he's the future back. Um, but Raheem Mostert ended up being on the case, and um, Seth Wilson looks like the goal line back. Two touchdowns inside the five yard line for Wilson this week. I think it's easy to get everyone involved in a blot like this, so this isn't really repeatable going forward. At least, not like what we saw this week. But if you're all in on Breida, this game was kind of bittersweet. There's a lot of backseat, and they could all have roles. has always been a committee guy. But going forward, I think the standalone behind Breida is going to be hard to forecast.
3: Jimmy G, 17 to 25, 297 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. It seemed like his go to receiver was Debo Samuel. Uh, Seven targets, five catches, 87 yards, and a touchdown. Do you think there's some type of chemistry and rapport working between those two? Because, you know, one of these 49ers receivers has to emerge at some point.
7: Yeah. And I think uh, Dante Pettis has been one of the bigger storylines of the saving of Pettis. Um, But, uh, you know, Debo started ahead of Pettis again this week. Um, There was never a doubt with Debo for me. I think he's the best playmaker, and we got to see that this week. Let him in receiving. But it's more than that. The 49ers featured him. Three of his catches were behind the line of scrimmage. They gave him two carries, and he actually, his longest run was actually called back on holding. Debo, I think, can be a Pierre Garçon for them. Hmm. High volume between the 20s. I think Kittle's very obviously still the top red zone guy, but Debo's got some touchdown equity. Um, It's not bad. He scored this week on a red zone target, and I think his role is just going to continue to grow.
3: Yeah, Kittle, three targets, three receptions, 54 yards after seeing a boatload of targets last week. Uh, Shifting over to the Bengals, I mean, you had such a high even in a loss in week one, and then a low in this game. Andy Dalton, 26 of 42, 311, two touchdowns, one interception. I mean, that's a fine stat line. I'm assuming a lot of that came in the second half and a lot of this production from Tyler Boyd. Ten targets, ten receptions, 122 yards, and John Ross, four catches, 112 yards, and a touchdown. Like, if you just looked at those, you would think the Bengals played well, but they obviously didn't.
7: No, I, I mean, uh, and to to go off that, um, the John Ross, I mean, this was spooky. Half his yards came on a 66-yard touchdown on the Bengals' final drive. Uh, It was a nice play. Ross plays the secondary, but yeah, garbage time on that one. Uh, I'm selling Ross. AJ Green's getting close. I think they said on the broadcast Green is parking in Week 5. So yeah, it's possible. These first two weeks go down as Ross's best games. Um, I'm selling Ross, but there's plug-and-play value until Green returns.
3: And then nothing on the ground. Eleven carries for Joe Mixon, who was obviously questionable for this game, for 17 yards. Giovanni Bernard, six carries, six yards. Certainly seems like that offensive line is a major question mark for the Bengals now and moving forward.
7: Yeah, Mixon looked fine to me. He looked healthy. He looked set game time season going in, but I don't think that played much of a role in him getting shut down. It's just game script for him. The 49ers front fourth dominated the Bengals offensive line. They didn't have Cory COVID, line um, again this week. So I think uh, this was offensive line in Game for mixing. I'm
0: not real concerned about Game Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends.